the harshest of operating conditions. Large-scale investment, planning, and commitment places the offshore sector in a league all on its own, where the stories of people aren't found anywhere else. From safety to operations to new technology, we look to break down this often mystified industry and shed light into the unknown. You're listening to the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast with your host, Andy Lash. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast, where we are making waves in the oil and gas industry. Today, we're going to learn about water treatment from Dwayne Duvall and Buddy Boyson from Water Standard. I've got them on the line here with me now. How are you guys doing today? Doing good, Andy. Doing good. Thanks for having us. Awesome. And that was Dwayne first, correct? Correct. All right. Where are you at today, Dwayne? Houston, Texas. All righty. Working from home, as everybody is. <laughs> as everybody is. Yeah, I've, I've become a WebEx master lately. I've been, you know, slicing and dicing and watching all the names pop up. And it's been a challenge for sure. But are you doing well today Doing in Houston? No, we're doing, we're doing real well. And then, Buddy, you were on there as well. Where are you at today, Buddy? How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm broadcasting live out of Sugarland, Texas. Sugarland. There we go. I was in League City before I moved up here to Oklahoma, so I was a little more down on that side of town. So, well, awesome. Well, thank you for coming out. Thank you for the time. And we'll just like jump right into it. Before we kind of get into the discussion, I did just want to make note of course, our show is sponsored by Tidewater. Tidewater owns and operates the largest fleet of offshore vessels in the industry. With over 60 years of experience supporting offshore energy exploration and production activities worldwide. If you're interested in support for your maritime operations, you can learn more about Tidewater through their website at tdw.com. Another good point too, if you enjoy the show, please take a few minutes, leave us a review, leave us a comment on iTunes or wherever you access this audio. And it'll help get it to more more listeners, and it'll help us improve the show in the future. I got the nice dog bark in the background. That sounds like my work meetings right now on WebEx. Everybody working at home. Hey, yeah, sorry. That was me. That was my COVID moment. <laughs> oh, that's all good. It's all good. That, that's life right now. <laughs> so how about, Dwayne, how about we start with you? Let's just learn a little bit about you and, and kind of how you got into the industry. Oh, yeah. No worries. I'm a VP of sales at Water Standard, Kimmy, chemical engineer by training. And, you know, been in, I've been in sales for, for over 20 years. I spent probably first nine, nine or 10 years of my career really in a downstream business, chemical treatment and separations in refining and petrochem industry. In 2006, went into the upstream market. And I've really, since then, I've been in produced water treatment and water treatment applications and upstream oil and gas since then, so probably 14, 15 years. Been with Water Standard for the past four years, and specifically in you know water treatment applications. Awesome. That's good. So how much of that has been, I mean, for your experience overall through your career, has much of that been offshore focused, or is that much more of a, an onshore focus overall? No, a little bit of both, Andy. You know, since, since really being in produced water and going in upstream market, it's probably been you know, 50-50, really. I mean, you know, depending on where the market's at, right? That the interesting thing. I mean, it was probably focused on offshore predominantly for several years. And then as, you know, things things change. And there's onshore work as well during that time, depending on, 
region. You know, I've done a lot and kind of in Canada and in the Middle East. Those are that was typically onshore, but you know, it was really kind of offshore focus in a lot of ways as as offshore platforms were being built and and that market was definitely growing. And then you know, then we had the shale revolution. You know, and and West Texas and the Permian Basin and and other areas in the U.S. So that definitely took a focus over the last several years. You know, obviously a huge water issue. I mean, you know, the I would say the value and kind of the perception of water has definitely changed in my time in the water business. So it's been really interesting to watch that, you know, kind of progress, right? From a, you know, I would say a waste stream, if you will, to, you know, in, in the onshore shale plays, it's really was more of a of a value stream, meaning you had to treat the water and reuse the water and use the water for production. So you know, there's been a lot of changes, but again, it, as long as we're producing oil and gas, we're going to see these problems. The, the amount of water, the volumes of water are going to increase. And so, you know, I know the market's in a little downturn right now, especially with everything going, going on internationally. But, you know, when it comes back, as oil and gas production, you know, comes back, then, you know, look, there's going to be water to treat and, it, and it's a problem. And, you know, we have to figure out how to, how to deal with it. Awesome. Yeah. No, I, I hear all that. And living in the oil and gas sector, we all talk about water just as much as we talk about oil and gas most of the time. So certainly agree there. Buddy, how about you? How about a little bit about your background and kind of how you got to where you are in the industry? Yeah, no problem. So when I was a kid, my dad opened up a company to do produced water disposal in Wyoming. And I ended up helping him a lot from the time that I was about 13 years old. I started helping him build simulators to simulate freezing the produced water because they were using that for desalination. And I worked for him all the way through college at his produced water disposal facilities. And after college, I ended up going to the municipal market and doing a whole bunch of water treatment plants. I, I got really good at advanced treatment and specialized in membranes. When the economy collapsed in 2008, I was living in Phoenix and my wife's from Houston. We ended up moving back to Houston at the end of my last project in 2012 to join Water Standard. And basically, Water Standard's concept was to put these huge desalination systems on ships, and they were using them for enhanced oil recovery. And so that was how I got into you know, the offshore market, where I really got to see what big ships were like. And you know, it's been oil and gas ever since. Awesome. Uh, it's Working offshore is a long ways away from Wyoming, though. Where are you from in Wyoming? I'm from Laramie, Wyoming. And, you know, I'd, I'd really say that with oil and gas, it has taken me to a lot of places that a normal Wyoming boy won't go to. <laughs> and I, I've gone all over the world. I've got to see what it's like being out in the middle of the ocean and in the middle of the ocean during big storms. And I'd say, you know, there, there's a lot of places that life takes you that uh, oil and gas has certainly taken me to many of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, that's something I think I've heard from many guests. And so I know something that I've experienced myself. I've been, I haven't really been international, but I've been plenty of time in Canada and all parts of the US and all over because of the oil and gas industry, just the same. So awesome. I've never heard you mentioned real quick. I know it's really not topic here, but just touching on that issue about water. You say they use freezing like freezing the water to desalinate it? That's something up in, I guess, the northern climates where they 
the winter will do that for us. Is that right? Yeah. So the concept was developed and looked at a lot, I think, from the you know 1960s into the 1980s. And my dad had been looking at using it to couple with conventional evaporation ponds because in the winter, the evaporation ponds just really stop evaporating. And so, you know, you end up losing all that time for disposal. You end up losing income. And they did a lot of work. We built a bunch of plants. And basically, the concept was just to use the natural weather cycles to create these huge ice piles, the water freezes out of the produced water and you're left with this really concentrated brine and this really clean water. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, some of the stuff that my dad was doing was really pioneering work. We had land that had no drainage. We were looking at, you know, beneficially reusing the treated water for irrigation on the site. There was just a really lot of cool stuff that was going on with that process. Yeah, that's super interesting. I just, I'd never heard of heard of that before. So that's cool. And of course, you've been living with the water treatment your whole life. So I look forward to hearing what you got to, to share with us today. So how about we just start with like, I think you've touched on a little bit, but how about just a little bit of background on water standard and, and maybe how you guys directly interact with the oil and gas sector? Dwayne, you want to take that? Yeah, most definitely. I can take that. And everybody kind of gave an overview of where Water Standard, you know, started in the industry. You know, I would say after that, it was probably, and there, you know, the expertise there was in what we call enhanced oil recovery. You know, I think that the business probably pivoted somewhat from shipbuilding and desalination plants there to enhanced oil recovery, which in a lot of ways is, is taking seawater and treating it to to inject back down into the reservoir to increase pressure and ultimately to enhance oil production from an existing reservoir. With that is seawater treatment that requires, you know, membranes, a filtration, also potentially desalination with reverse osmosis. So, you know, a pretty intensive, I would say, treatment program. In 2016, Water Standard purchased Monarch Separators, which is a company here, a fabrication shop, in Houston, Texas. It's a 45-year-old company that has a complete portfolio of what we would call conventional produced water treatment equipment. You know, primary, secondary, tertiary type applications with flotation units, filtrations, hydrocyclones, things such as that CPIs. Again, been in business a long time, does a lot of international work. That was in the Middle East, especially in Canada. That was in 2016. So, you know, in our business right now and the way we interact, we, we really kind of look at it. We have a sort of complete portfolio of water treatment equipment. And that, you know, in our mind is really kind of, I would say, separated in, in two different, if you will, customer segments. One being traditional, conventional, produced water treatment equipment. Just like on any offshore platform, as the produced water comes up with the oil and gas production, that water has to go somewhere. It's got to be treated typically to a, a level good enough for it to go to overboard discharge. And with, you know, let's say enhanced oil recovery, that's a little bit more what we'd call advanced treatment, where it's going to take membrane processes or desalination to, you know, take seawater or even produced water if you can use produced water for reinjection as well. So that's really how we interact. We really interact with the energy sector on any type of water application whether that be just sort of with conventional oil, water, solid separation, or whether it be advanced treatment to take out certain components and dissolve components. 
So that's really where we fit in, Andy, and it's really in any application that involves water treatment applications with oil and gas production. I guess the only thing I want to add on top of that, Andy, I thought Dwayne did a really good job, but Water Standard and Monarch together are really built to tackle the really challenging applications that are coming in the oil and gas market. And, you know, we've been doing it onshore and offshore. When you look at offshore desalination systems or offshore membrane deoxygenation technologies, we do the same onshore, you know, where we've been working on processes to treat produced water for eventual discharge back into river systems. And, you know, the, the technologies that we've been looking at bringing to the market are really advanced for that. And I think that that's our company's DNA. And those, you know, processes and those, you know, all the different treatments that you guys are doing to the water, I mean, that's kind of keeping the water and putting it back into a, a usable state rather than it just going into a disposal where a lot of water does go. At least I know for onshore, a lot of it goes there. We see the water trucks. Anybody that's spent any time in the in the oil patch has seen those trucks running and, and they see the disposal. So so this is really a benefit to reuse that water and cut down on the disposal costs. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. As well as making that water available for other uses, including irrigation and human consumption. You know, when you start looking at those volumes of water, they're large and they generally occur in areas like the Permian Basin where there is a natural lack of water. And so in those areas, if you're able to treat it and bring it back to the water cycle, you know, it can be really beneficial. And then, you know, the other side of that, when you look at performing even more advanced treatment to recover more of the oils in an offshore setting, the water that you're putting back into the ocean is a little bit better. You're keeping a little bit of that stuff that might cause you other challenges like algal growth out of the water system. And so both of those, you know, very, very environmentally focused as far as the work we're doing at Water Standard. When you touch on, and you mentioned like the tough jobs, like the real, you know, the real tough jobs in the industry, what are some of those, so those problems, what are the, you know, the tough jobs that you guys are really going after, say better than some of your competitors? Yeah, well, I don't know if better so much as that we're really working hard to bring products to market that are going to be, you know, useful to our users. We're really good at desalination. We're really looking at technologies that are able to desalinate water. And when you start looking at using processes, especially membrane processes for desalination, there's just a lot of stuff that can really give you challenges with operating the membrane systems. And, you know, one of one of the big knocks on membrane systems is that they require a lot of work to keep the membranes clean. And so when you look at it, like the real technologies that we're developing are the pretreatment for the membrane systems, figuring out, what, you know, which components in produced water are going to really give you problems and then looking at bringing pretreatment systems in place that are going to be able to address those And I think, you know, some of the work that we've done with membrane bioreactors, membrane filtration, you know, some of the stuff that we're doing with membrane deoxygenation, really compact, small systems that can go offshore and can provide, you know, even better treatment than the people are already getting for their oxygen removal, you know, more consistent treatment. Those are the kind of applications that we're trying to address or that we're really built to address right now. Would you agree, Dwayne? 
Yeah, and all I was going to add to that, as Buddy said, I mean, we're, we're trying to develop new technologies and looking at this, but I think, you know, the way we try to approach it, Andy, we try to approach it from, we don't want to pull a product off the shelf. I mean, we have products, but when we look at a water treatment application, you know, when we're talking about the, the difficult, the, the challenging applications, depending on, you know, what, what's in that water, right, that might be hard to separate, we try to look at things comprehensively. Not everything has to be custom engineered you know, as far as a process system, but we like to look at everything comprehensively. I mean, the, the way we want to approach it, if we can, is you, you give us what's coming in on the inlet and tell us what we need to get to on the outlet. And we're going to try to do what's most cost effective, the best technology, the best available technology to accomplish that task, as opposed to saying, I'm just going to pull this piece of equipment off the shelf, which is a standard piece and stick it into the model. So, so for us, it's really kind of looking at everything comprehensively from inlet to outlet and trying to figure out what, what's the best, most cost-effective way to treat it and meet that goal. Okay. So, and you've touched on a couple of the, the points there of, you know, you need to know what is coming out of the ground, right? What needs to be treated. And then you want to know what the expectation is for the outbound water. What are some of the other points that that are a driving deployment of your systems or or that are just things that a customer needs to understand when they're kind of looking for water treatment solutions that maybe doesn't always come to mind. Bud, do you want to take that? Yeah, sure. I'm happy taking that. So the first thing is the way that the system performs when it's having problems, right? Like when we look at our conventional technologies, you know, you always talk about upsets and how the system handles upsets. But if you're looking at something that's designed to remove oil, like like our coalescing plate interceptors, they're going to basically serve their function. They're just not going to produce the same water quality if the system goes into upset. Like if the, you know there were upset in the upstream treatment processes and you sent a bunch of oil through the system, you'd recover more oil, but you'd have a little bit more oil coming out of the back end of the process. As you start moving towards these advanced treatment technologies, like you know membrane filtration, reverse osmosis, even our membrane deaerators, they're really consistent in their performance in terms of water quality that they're making. And so when you have that additional load, it doesn't just pass through the system, it gets retained in the system and it can end up causing you a lot of problems. And so the operators have to be monitoring a whole bunch of different parameters than they normally would, like the flows through the stages in an RO system, the salt levels that are coming out of a salt system, just the pressures in the system. And so there's there's really a little bit of retraining in terms of, you know, usually the operators see the water qualities changing out of the oil system, and that's their first clue that they need to go look and troubleshoot their system. When you start looking at these advanced processes, the back-end water quality doesn't really change so much as that the performance of the equipment starts to change. And for me, that's one of the challenges with implementing the newer technologies is just that change in mindset and getting operators used to looking at different stuff to respond to. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we see that on pretty much any kind of new technology deployment where whether it's, I think we were joking before the call about just using Microsoft Teams and WebEx and some of that kind of stuff, right? So I uh, <laughs> totally understand that. What about, you know, more more what kind of drives it? I know we had talked about before the call a little bit about how, 
you know, and I think everybody understands this, that, you know, water treatment and disposal and discharge has a whole lot of regulation around it. There's a lot of controls. There is a direct environmental impact on some of this stuff. And that's a big part of the, the discussion. How does that come into mind? Is that simply that goes into what your discharge stream has to look like? Or how do those things play into to the water treatment business overall? Sure. I want to take this one, Dwayne. Is that okay? Sure. Cool. So I want to kind of reframe that. I think what's driving advanced treatment, you know, definitely economic considerations. It's not only regulatory. Like on the produced water discharge side, there are regulations that are driving us towards more advanced treatment, especially in onshore systems. When you look at offshore, the availability of water, the use of water, the ability to discharge the water are all big things, but they all factor into economy. And for us, when we look at advanced treatment, there were really specific economic factors that you know were happening because of other changes in the oil market. Like when shale came online in 2012, they knew that a lot of oil was going to flood the market. They knew that a lot of oil volume was going to drop the price of oil. And for certain economies, especially economies that were government run, you know, like Norway or Malaysia or Brazil, where they had a government run oil agency that was really supporting a large piece of their economy, that they were going to need to produce larger volumes of oil. Right. And so when we look at that, that was really the driver that was bringing the need for more water because either, you know, you're doing pressure maintenance on reservoirs that haven't seen a whole lot of pressure maintenance because they're being produced using really small platforms that don't have space for that kind of water treatment that would be required to water flood. Or, you know, you're doing pressure maintenance already, but you want to change to enhanced oil recovery, you know, using some sort of a chemical approach to try to recover a little bit more oil out of the reservoir. When they knew that the reservoir volumes were fixed, then they needed to produce more oil. They instantly wanted to get, you know, better return of the oil that's in the ground. Those were the first wave that really allowed water standards technologies to start to make a lot of sense. And you saw a lot of a lot more advanced offshore water floods that were considering using desalination and, you know, potentially some sort of chemical addition. The second side of that is once those floods are put into place, the oil changes a lot. Like if you're washing the oil out of the rocks using surfactants, or polymers, then the nature of the produced water, the water that returns when you're producing the oil, it's just a lot different in terms of its physical properties like viscosity or the size of the diameter of the oil droplets that you're trying to separate. And so because of that, there's a bigger need for advanced technologies that will address those problems on the produced water side, right? The final piece that we're seeing is a regulatory piece where people in the ocean are really concerned about algal growth and they're starting to look at it. There's, you know, they're not at a point where these these regulations have really been fully addressed. This this might be the next 10 to 15 years of regulation. But as they start regulating more amount of food sources that are going back into the ocean, naturally the oil levels 
they're going to need to be addressed. But people are looking at even beyond the oil down to dissolved organic carbon. And when you start looking at removing those components, you really need something that's a very advanced technology. When you start treating to those levels, then you start looking at just reusing that water as part of your water flooding approach or your pressure maintenance approach or your enhanced oil recovery approach. And those are really the drivers that you know are making space for the technologies that we're trying to bring to the market. Awesome. Those certainly sound like some of those hard problems you said you were trying to trying to overcome earlier in the interviews. So, no, that that's very interesting. There's a lot going on there. What do you see on the horizon? You know, I mean, you touched on some of the some of it right there, but is there anything else just in the water treatment space overall? Maybe not specifically offshore, but you know, new technologies that you guys are are getting ready to deploy, or or just stuff that the industry is finally starting to adopt that you guys have maybe been screaming about for a little while, and they're finally jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah, I'll take that one just shortly, if you don't mind, bud. It was interesting because just kind of to support what Buddy said, you know, and what he talked about there. So we've seen some companies that I think probably are a little, you know, have a vision of the future that they, they've been working on some of these advanced technologies. They've been doing their due diligence on because I feel like the market is it's going that direction. And again, as Buddy said, it might be years before we get there. I hope it's not 10 to 15 on some of these. I hope it's just a you know, within the next few years, because, you know, we, we do see problems out there that can be solved and, and we do feel like they can be solved cost effectively. I feel like that's probably one of the big, I would say, misperceptions out there in the market. We can do this cost effectively in a lot of ways. Now, if a company's not forced to go that direction, if they're not forced to meet some of those regulations or if the regulations aren't there, then it, it's hard to get somebody to spend more money on that, right? Even if they do have a vision of the future. But you know, I definitely see that coming. If you're talking onshore shale plays with the massive amounts of, of water, right? I mean, I know that if you can dispose of it, a lot of companies will do that. But, you know, as you continue, then I feel like there's a day and there's companies looking into surface discharge, as Buddy said, you know, putting this back directly into the river or onto the ground, agricultural use, dust control, things like that. You know, really putting water back into the, the natural water balance. Offshore, again, you see companies right now in a couple of different areas. One, because of algal growth, as Buddy said, is looking at taking out some of the dissolved organics. You see companies that feel like environmental regulations, even for just discharge, are going to be more stringent. So they're looking at more, I would say, polishing or advanced treatment on the back end of their normal produced water treatment equipment. So look, the market's going that direction. It might not be, especially in this time in the next few months. Or six, you know, six months to a year, don't know. But, you know, the, the environmental regulations are only going to probably become tighter and more stringent. And I think you do see some companies that are investigating this right now and trying to get ahead of the curve. And that's what we're trying to do as well. That's what we're trying to develop as we move forward. Well, and you guys coming on the show is certainly hopefully helps with that, gets your message out there. There's probably a lot of people uh, with some of that free time right now at home wait, waiting out this it's a tragic storm we're in right now, but that's a lot of good stuff on the horizon there. So one thing, what about general operations? I mean, there are there are a lot of consumables in these kind of systems. Is there are different operating thing, you know, items and processes that need to change that require a lot of maintenance and, and a lot of upkeep? Okay, so for me, 
When I look at it, there's a couple different technologies that we're really focused on. You know, when you look at water injection, and we'll just kind of ignore the produced water side first. When you look at membrane filters, they require regular cleaning. And so there's there's chemicals that have to be brought in and stored, and you have to make sure that the chemical cleaning processes are being performed regularly. That certainly goes without saying. When you start looking at our other two platform technologies, SRU, nanofiltration, reverse osmosis for desalination, those are a constant process. They require operators to be monitoring the performance of the system, but they don't really require a whole lot of intervention. We've seen some challenges, you know, just in terms of getting equipment installed correctly on ships, like, you know, especially for the smaller systems we've been looking at doing that are on barges, you can get some pretty crazy weather-related stuff, wave action stuff that happens with pumps. But that platform, the way that those trains run, they really don't require as much operator intervention for maintenance as they do just monitoring the performance and maybe changing operating parameters. I would say the same out of our membrane deaerator platform, that that technology, you know, as long as you're providing good, clean nitrogen for the deoxygenation part and the water going into the membrane deaerators is clean, you're not going to see a lot of fouling. And so they're, they're pretty, they don't require as much operator intervention as maybe the membrane filtration portion of the process. When you start getting into the the oil removal technologies, I think that the offshore industry understands a lot of the challenges of running a CPI or induced gas flotation. So I guess I don't really need to talk to that that much here. <laughs> well, that that's good. That's a lot of information. I mean, you guys you guys certainly know your stuff, as I'm sure you know you should for where you are in the industry and a lot of stuff that I never thought of when thinking about water treatment. So. But I know it's 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 a huge part of the industry. It's a huge challenge for everybody to to overcome, and a vital part for sure for the whole oil and gas industry. What are some of? And maybe there aren't. I don't know. But are there any myths or misunderstandings, kind of overall through the industry, that you have to commonly debunk when you're talking to customers or or anybody about what you do? I'll take that one real quick because I think we've we've touched on it quite a bit. So. You know, it's, it's kind of been, I think, one of the underlying themes of what we try to do, which, you know, when we talk about challenging applications, when we talk about looking at things comprehensively, you know, holistically, looking at the whole water treatment process, as opposed to, you know, just give me a product off the shelf. So for me, one of the biggest misperceptions out there is just the fact that it's only water and all water is the same. I think that, that even now that a lot of, you know, a lot of people in the industry, again, if, if you view it as a waste stream and it's just an extra cost, right, when it comes to oil and gas production, I think there's a lot of people that look at it as it's, it's just water, right? All water is the same. We're just taking oil out of water. Yeah. And the fact is that the, the components, right, the, whether it's the dissolved organics or whether it's asphaltines or, or paraffins or whatever's in that, in the fluid makes a big difference in the types of efficiencies that you get in separation. So for me, that's one of the, that's one of the things that granted we're, we're passionate about water treatment not everybody is, but it's one of the things that I think that, you know, for me that we're always trying to preach, you know, which is not all water is the same. Every region in the world, the water has different 
salinity. It has different components, right? The oil has different, you know, specific gravities. It has different components too that affect separation. So for me, that's, that's probably the biggest thing when, when you're talking about, you know, water treatment across the oil and gas industry. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's a really good kind of summary of the point. Like you said, that, that really brings it all together. Yeah. If you're not close to it, it totally does just seem like water, just like anything else. <laughs> um, but, but I kind of, while I was listening to you talk, talk through that, I used to be a big homebrew nerd. I used to drink okay. a lot of okay. homebrew and brew a lot of beer and re- just really into beer, right? Yeah. Craft beer and everything. <laughs> um, and I kind of came to mind, like some of the most influential beer styles from around the world are all based pretty much directly off the water style. Like how different and how unique that water is to Belgium or to the West Coast or the East Coast or to all these different parts of the world. And that's almost the biggest portion of of what changes the beer style. So a little side story, I guess, on, yeah, that's on a, look, that's a great point, Andy. I mean, I think that's exactly what you know what we're saying here, right? I doubt there's very few people out there as popular as the craft brew industry is right now, right? I doubt a lot of people think of it in terms that the water quality in that specific region dictates the taste of the beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, so so much so that there's like breweries here in America, if they want to make a certain style they have to do a pretty elaborate water treatment process to make in-house. So they have to take their their local water, add salts, add salt, add a bunch of stuff to it just to get it close to get that final product, you know? so no, That's awesome. That's awesome. We've touched on a bunch. You guys know what you're talking about. You guys are certainly are passionate about water treatment and Water Standard sounds like a fantastic company to go to if if anybody's in in need of water treatment help, is there anything we haven't touched on that you guys want to get out or anything? Not that I can think of, buddy. Anything that you can think of? Yeah, that was a whole lot of silence on our end, I guess. Yeah, uh, I was just thinking it through. <laughs> first thing was lots of good thoughts or good energy being channeled to the oil industry right now, especially for my people in Texas. That With current price of oil, we've got some really big challenges coming up for us over the next year. And we're going to need a lot of creative people to help make sure that we still have jobs in our industry. So, Yeah, I can't agree more. Absolutely, buddy. Absolutely. Well, awesome. I think it's been a great discussion. I think we got a lot of information out there and touched on a lot of a lot of great points. And again, thank you guys a lot for, for your time and thank you for for sitting down with me today. No, thanks, Andy. We appreciate you taking the time and for having us on so we could spread the water treatment message. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Absolutely. You're welcome. All right. All right, everybody listening, have a good week. We will see you on the next one. And here are our events on deck. Hi, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So obviously, we are in uh, unprecedented times right now and have been unable to carry out our last couple of happy hours that we had scheduled for last month. We have chosen to delay them and we'll continue to update you on when exactly we will be able to have those events again. Obviously, we're following along the recommended guidelines of the CDC and the World Health Organization. So we're really looking forward to seeing you and we're hoping that these events are going to happen sooner rather than later. But for now, stay tuned and we will keep you posted on those dates. 
Also, just want to say thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to Oil & Gas Global Network. We are fortunate to already have been a virtual company before the coronavirus and all of these issues started plaguing various countries. And we just want to continue bringing you guys the best information and to the best of our ability, keep you informed, especially while everyone is at home or at least most more people than ever before are at home. So we just would like to thank you for continuing to tune in and continuing to listen. And we hope that everyone is staying safe and we wish everyone the best. And thanks again. Tune in next week for another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasoffshore.com.